0: If you want to be at the tip of the spear of sports performance, the answer is simple. Simply Faster is your insider's edge to maximize results with the highest quality Premier Sports equipment in the business. Visit Simply Faster and level up. Welcome everyone to the Companions of the Compendium Podcast. Today I have big time Bob Alejo, who is now currently with uh, California State University Northridge, but he has been involved in Olympic sport, in baseball, in basketball. He has decades upon decades of experience at a number of different universities. He's also known for his time during the Oakland Athletics Moneyball era, but he has done Many many things in many sports, hundreds of All Americans, numerous national champions. It is an absolute pleasure to have Big Time Bob on with me today. Bob, how you doing? Wow,
1: well, with that intro, I'm trying to figure out who that actually is. Is he gonna come? Is he coming through this door somewhere? <laughs> I uh, I don't know. If big time equates gray beard, old, been around, and I cannot disagree with that one bit. I appreciate it, Ryan. It's great for you and I to get on here and chat. Been on a couple of really good. St- uh, podcast uh, with you. And, uh, this will really, uh, cauterize what, you know, we've kind of talked about a million topics, right? Correct. Yeah. So talk to us a little
0: bit about, for those people who are not familiar with your work, talk a little bit about your evolution, um, as a coach and some of your mentors along that process.
1: Oh gosh. Okay. Well, uh, I've been doing it almost 40 years now, so I'll give you the kind of the brief kind of deal. Um, I started at UCLA in 1984, coached there for about 10 years. 93, I took off to the Oakland A's for, you know, close to 10 years. Um, and from there, I went with Jason Giambi to the Yankees for about three and a half uh, uh, as his uh, strength and conditioning coach and took some time there to write a book and start a, a website and some other things. Came back to the college atmosphere at UC Santa Barbara, 2005, 2008. During that time is when um, I was able to be on my first Olympic team with Phil Dalhauser and Todd Rogers, where we went to Beijing and won the gold in beach volleyball. Billy Bean called me back uh, into the A's organization, and said, you know, he needed my help. And I was lucky enough to have the best job in baseball twice. I don't think anybody had anything near what I had uh, in terms of working with people, being supported by a front office. Um, In the end of my third year, of my contract there, uh, I went to North Carolina State University as uh, director of strength and conditioning. Uh, So I had oversight of everything, including football, although I didn't do football, but that was my, I had oversight over that and all the Olympic sports. Uh, was there till 2016. Uh, after that stint, had um, um, became the director of sports science for Powerlift, and uh, started the, the sports science educational board with really good friends of mine, who, in my opinion, happen to be you know ten of the best scientists in the business um, globally. Uh, So that was kind of fun and got back into publishing again and writing and, you know, Simply Faster and some things like that. Um, And um, from there, uh, my last stop where I'm at right now, I did some consulting at Cal State Northridge and uh, essentially formed and created the job that you've heard me squawk about, moan about, bitch about, whatever you want to say, uh, (laughs) as the director of student athlete performance and welfare and uh, essentially the high performance director. Uh, so now I have oversight of sports medicine, strength and conditioning, sports nutrition and sports psychology. And uh, it's, a, it's a position I feel passionate about. I still dabble in strength and conditioning, still handling, you know, the volleyball teams, the soccer teams and, you know, kind of mentoring um, who everybody now becomes underneath me young. <laughs> so uh, helping out in that way. Uh, but again, you know, I think the position is important because I, I really do feel it's going to create the future for others. Um, strength and conditioning practitioners, not just solely, but I think anybody in the performance realm, um, you know, as a kind of an antidote, you got to think how many strength coaches do you know uh, have retired on their own? I, I can tell you I, zero is my number. Um, retiring in our business is you have no job. That's what retiring is. I think there's plenty of us that are smart enough um, to be able to get into the senior staff level where we can affect the day-to-day operations instead of complaining about some of the horrible nuances we've uh, been exposed to over the years. And uh, now I'm lucky enough to kind of start running the first few legs of this torch relay and uh, get a bunch of other people involved so that, you know, they can all have bosses or at least somebody above them on the senior staff who actually knows what they do, respects what they do, and can help drive the recommendations from the performance level to the student athlete. (coughs) That's a little short synopsis of what's going on. And, 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 you know, I think think one of the other things that, that you can add to my career is that early on there, you know, it um, wasn't very many of us, you know, in, in the early eighties. So when I came to had a lot of firsts, but mostly because, you know, that was a long time ago. Right. So I was the first assistant in UCLA history. I was the first director of performance at NC state. I was the first strength and conditioning coach for the Oakland A's. I was the first strength and conditioning coach to be on an Olympic team, uh, Olympic team member jacket, Walk, you know, opening ceremonies, that whole deal. Um, so I think that, that enabled me to be able to have a wider breadth of feel um, professionally. And also um, I would say able for me to have a wider skill level. So, I mean, literally we, you know, as young assistants, which where there was only one or two at every school in the United States, I mean, you were the head strength coach for half the teams, and the assistant for the other half, and everybody piled in <laughs> on football. So you know that was a really that was a really good thing for me. So I you know I was able to to end up awakening later on now where there, there's really nothing I haven't been exposed to. You know, I mean, aside from I mean, I had most of my career in the West Coast. So in the beginning, um, the only a couple things that only two, team, two sports I can think of that I really hadn't had great exposure to. And, that, and I say anything at all would be lacrosse and hockey, ice hockey, which are essentially East Coast sports At then. Now we know they're all over the place. But uh, that's a little short drivel of what I've done over the time.
0: Well, we appreciate that perspective. And when you talk about doing a lot of firsts and being involved in that process, because you were one of the kind of, originals just by the very nature of the limited number of people who were doing what you do. Looking back on that, what would be some of the things that you've learned that have become formative in your current position that you're doing now
1: that others could benefit from? Well, it's it's actually, it's a little dichotomous. I mean, look, I I, I think my my exposure early on to everything is what you added is what has added to my perspective and my skill level, um, designing programs, implementing them, and all that. I mean, you know, when I when I went to the A's in '93, Sandy Alderson, who was then the president and general manager, ended up being the vice president of baseball at some point, and you know now he's back. And I think he's at the Mets now. And but one of the things he did say is, I played baseball in college, coached you know the baseball guys at UCLA. Um, But, you know, with his tremendous intellect and foresight, he said, you know, we certainly we certainly appreciate and welcome, you know, your baseball background. I mean, there's no no question. That's why you're here. But he said, for me, Sandy was pointing to himself for me. I like it. I like the fact that you work with so many other teams that brings a a different horizon to us in baseball. I mean, that was almost 30 years ago Um, today. That's what I tell some of the younger coaches, you know, get exposed to something else. You know, so I, you know, again, I think it'd be hard for everybody to understand in 1984, there was probably at the most two, maybe three straight coaches at every school in the country, University of Oklahoma, Penn state, Florida, you name it, maybe only one. Right. So, you know, we were exposed to so many things. When I hit NC state back in 2011, I eventually end up having, we, we had 15 strength coaches on staff. So, you know, that's great for the job market. What I think is a little bit pigeonholing is that now you have, you know, women's tennis, uh, maybe wrestling and then golf and that's it, you know? And so now you don't get to look at the shoulder in tennis or the shoulder in swimming or the shoulder in baseball or the shoulder in volleyball, I just gave you an example of, of how I was able to train my pitchers because I'd seen the shoulder in so many ways. So, you know, in, in those instances, I don't think today's coach gets that sort of exposure. I tell them, like, you, you know, you can't be that busy. You got three teams. You know, I used to have 23 and guys my age back then, you just go, right? Right. Still get in there and dab in there and see what that body looks like. You know, uh, and I think that's what I would tell people today. Don't don't lock yourself in. I mean, because to me, it's really hard to say, you know, you're a great strength coach when you don't work with a lot of teams. I I just I don't see it right. Uh, Football might be a little bit different in that that sport has, you know, jumping and running and collision and there's a lot of aspects to it. Right. Right. But um, with some of the other sports, you don't get that huge range of physiology or um kinesiology so it's hard for you to go outside and you know in the end if you have um uh, wrestling tennis and golf and you're really good at that if there's a great swim job that happens to to come by i can't recommend you for that you know i can right. i can tell i can tell the person that asked me how good they are what i think might happen but you know, at least give me an opportunity to help you and and get out and and widen your horizons there. So I I think that's number one. Number two is it's not necessarily networking as we know it, networking as in, oh, I got a bunch of people I know that's going to help me in the future. You know, not necessarily, unless you're working with somebody or close to them, just because you call them or you're on a podcast with them or you meet them, you know, yearly at a convention doesn't mean that phone call is going to get you in the door. What I'm talking about is networking and you know, calling folks, talking to them. You know, in other words, give an example. Reading the science, which you do, and uh, our our little you know kind of our group does that. You read the science, and what I can't stand is when people read a research paper and say, "Well, I what I think he's saying right here is," and I say, "Okay." At the end of every, on the first page of every paper, in the bottom left-hand corner is that author's email. You don't need to guess email them. And then when you get that email, call them and ask them, you don't, I don't want to hear what you think. The exactly. paper is not there. It's to stimulate thought outside of that paper, but that paper is telling you a certain thing, you know, so, so get out and call on and, and I can tell you that um, I've never, I don't know that if I think about of top of my head, I, I don't think there's anybody who's not responded. I mean, you know, look, you write, I write because we think, we have something that somebody should know. So if you call me and ask me about my paper, I'm, I, I'm, I can't wait to get back to you. You know, that's why people write. So uh, I've never been uh, snubbed by a scientist, you know, and now now years later, I, I don't have to get snubbed by a scientist because I know so many <laughs> folks, you know, that I can just get out there and ask. and That adds to that whole spot of, you know, the social media back and forth and oh, that's not true. This is not true. I think this, I think that. I mean, I think, I wish, I hope. No need for that anymore. Contact people, find out. So I think those are the two things that that I've seen that, you know, I mean, I being exposed to like, you know, 23 sports, that was nothing that I could plan. It just so happens I show up as the, the first assistant UCLA history and I'm thrown right into it, you know, and then my first time ever working with soccer, my first time ever working with you know, elite swimmers, my for you know that kind of thing, and, and it was uh, it was really good.
0: So now that you're the, in kind of the head honcho, and you've been able to create um, a lot of your wish list and your programming and the setup at the university that you're at, have you provided the folks that are underneath you in those positions those opportunities almost like forcing it to happen? Like, hey, you're going to spend only this many years or this many seasons in a row with these sports, and we're going to rotate you into other sports? How does that work for you and in, in your current
1: position? It's almost like the one I had, right? So at Northridge, we're a mid-major, Division One school. So I have two full-time strength and conditioning coaches for 350 athletes. So it's it's uh, it wasn't the 500-plus that I had um, back in the early 80s, but that's still a lot of folks, right? I mean, so I, I don't really have to. Put a timeline or a time frame on how long they'll work with one team because essentially they're both working with them all. We have what's called adjunct faculty performance assistants, which are really interns, but they're um, underneath the adjunct faculty heading as academics. The academic part of our institution still handles that side, but I, I change it to where they're all certified, so they're you know they can come in and work right away. Uh, similar to what I did at NC State. I mean, there's I just don't think in my opinion, we don't have enough time to teach somebody to take the certification test. I want them to coach, get out and coach, get ready to go. So come to me with your certification. I can help you and give you the experience you need by putting you on the floor. Um, so no, I, I didn't have to, I haven't had to do any of that. Uh, it, it just happens organically because there's just so many kids and so much to do. So it's, um, I think it's going to be good for all of them. I think it's going to be a good ground. I think everybody should work in a situation like that. I think a lot of folks, I I mean, I think it's a pretty good hypothesis too. When you end up going to a school, a, a power five, sure, that's great. That's a great resume builder. But once you get there, you know, there's a lot of resources there that keep you from grinding, I think, you know, like really, you need to be resourceful. You know, I mean, you need to be resourceful. And so I, I think you your critical reasoning and some of those things get a little bit uh, blunted because there's you don't really have to figure things out. Everything's there. We got this giant weight room. You got 20 platforms. You got seven force plates. You got eight, you know, whatever. Uh, so I think um, it's, it's much like when I uh, helped Jason George up uh, at Fordham. Jason then later on went in to be the the head transition coach for the Bears and then, uh, you know, an NFL assistant for a while. And uh, when I went up and helped him when I was kind of doing the jobby thing with the Yankees, (laughs) I I asked him if I can come volunteer because I was getting bored. So I could drive up into the Bronx and then later on come, come out to Yankee Stadium later. But, you know, he had something like 600 athletes, I think, some crazy amount of 30 something odd sports. And he had, I think, two or three squat racks and two or three, like just uh, plywood on the floor. That was it. And I, after I went there and, and helped him, and I had a, you know, it was fun. And, you know, since now we've, made, we've maintained our connection. But he, I say everybody should coach there. One, everybody should come here and coach one time and get used to that organizational method, get used to that programming. Uh, and be involved in that an environment that makes you think, how am I going to do this, right? Um, so I think that's you know that that was an accident for me, but my guys now are are getting exposed to it. And I'm happy to you know be in there. I, I I guess I got a little you know a little empathy in there and some sympathy when I when I see what they have to do, which is why uh, and and because I enjoy it. But that's why I take a team or two and try to get some of the pressure off them a little bit, but I still, they're involved with those teams too. So every now and then I got to leave and go to a meeting or do something administratively, but um, uh, no, I think, I think it's a good, we're in a good spot for them to really learn. That's awesome. So we're kind of building to this question.
0: um, And it's kind of talking about the mentor mentee kind of role that, that you're playing now if you had some advice for the listeners with uh, all the experience that you've had and then also kind of now mentoring others, what do you think a lot of the young guys coming into the business are getting wrong? And how can we
1: fix that? I'd say that there's a there seems to be a quest to, you know, reinvent the wheel a little bit. And I, I think complicating something simple. I think I put out a tweet the other day about Dan Paff, how, you know, uh, I think uh, McMillan, Stu McMillan talked about it in uh, one of the Aldous handbooks that, you know, in, in coming and being exposed to what Dan was doing, that noticed that there was a certain amount of monotony to what he did, like the exercises didn't change very much, kind of how he went at it didn't change very much. I, I would say the same thing. I mean, I, I, if I looked at some programs or even a program I wrote in the early eighties when I was still working at at Chico state, like at a sports medicine center, I I think that menu is not really unchanged all that much. Now my skill level at designing the workouts programming has, um, but you know, there's only, I mean, how old is the bench press? How old is the squat? How old is the deadlift? How old is the overhead press? I mean, come on. I, I think everybody's trying to, you know, be different that way but that's not how you're different you own you're different on how you implement you're different on how you design we know that right because everybody's bench pressing so what makes exactly. those guys better than those guys well it's 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 programming you know it's implementation it's you know rules and regulations policies and procedures it's uh, you know the the iq on the floor the iq IQ after the floor. It's looking at the statistics, looking at, you know, vertical jumps, long jumps, short sprints, uh, you know, speed endurance stuff. Those are the things that make the difference. But I, I, I would think that we're, we're trying to make it a little bit, I think perhaps the younger people look at those programs and say, "Well, oh, those are just too easy. You know, it's, it's gotta be a little more than that. Right. But it's not, right. it's not. And you know, I have the virtue now of looking at, you know, again, nearly 40 years of a sample size and I can go back and say, well, that's pretty good. You know, like, I don't, I don't have to guess like, yeah, I don't know. No, that's pretty good. Like I think, you know, I, I kind of know where things need to go, you know, and then I think, you know, the, the intuitive part of it certainly can't happen right away. Cause I think intuition comes with experience. So that, that just has to evolve. But, you know, I, I think, Making sure that they do the simple things really, really good is better than doing, you know, some sort of complex method, philosophy, uh, or mode of exercise, you know, okay, and having a bunch of it. I think the other part is these, you know, I see some of these workout sheets, they look like PowerPoints. <laughs> I, I say, what? this is funny, right? Like, wh- what are you doing with that? You know, right. I mean, I, I still have an Excel sheet that... Allison Park at Santa Barbara gave me, that's it. I plug it in. I, I haven't found, I haven't found any workout plan that, that, you know, any company or business or whatever that I can plug mine into, can't do it. I just get mine and that's it. And, and uh, they say, well, you know, this was for the athletes. And I say, that can't be true. That can't be true. And I'll tell you why, because I, I have this kid here who's been lifting me for a year who, who still comes up to me and, and says, um, you know, like, what, what, is, what is this one right here? <laughs> right. What's, is that the one where the thing where I've been? Oh, so don't tell me that's for the athletes. Like they could care less, you know? So uh, I, just keep it simple, you know I mean? That, that's none of, that, none of that stuff impresses me. I, what impresses me is the end of the day are people running faster and jumping higher. That's what I wanna know. Cause that's, that covers just about all the physiology that you need, right? So uh, that's what I think happens. And, 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 you know, I also go on record saying that I think there's a little bit of social media bullying, right? Let me explain myself there. I think if you're young, you want to be really good. So, so that part is good with the young group and they want to be really good. They want to be, I think that they want good exposure. I, and I, I do think that, you know, because today in the social media, they want to be popular and, all that, and I, there's nothing you can do about that, right? That's, that's always been the case of folks. Um, but um, they get on there and they don't, and this is where good mentoring comes in, right? There's so much stuff, Ryan, there's so much stuff out there. How would they know what to pick? So I think what happens is they go, I- I'm just gonna do it all, you know, again, which is that PowerPoint sheet, like Jesus. And the bullying comes in, if I don't do this, if I go ahead and put on Instagram or Twitter, or when I speak at the national conference, I don't have all this stuff, Ryan Banta and Bob Leo are gonna think I'm dumb. Like, I, like I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so I gotta do it all. I'm just gonna put it all on there. And, you know, I think they're just kind of bullied by that. It's, you know, this, this, this peer pressure that uh, I think is intentional in some areas, but just happens anyway, because there's just so much a glut of stuff, right? That they just got to do all that, and I think they, they 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 when you do that, they start moving away from the science, the practicality, the experience, and it gets them farther away from the actual thing. Uh, and and that you know, I empathize with that. And I feel sorry for them. Man, we didn't have any of that. Of course, you know, hard to believe, but when I started, there was no computers, no cell phones, <laughs> no. It was a, it was the phone that rang on the desk, and who the hell knew who was calling you, right? Hello, you know, white room. And then it's, uh, hey, Bob, this is, you know, Mike Stone. Like, oh, wow. (laughs) Right. And if you didn't go to a conference, you never had that interaction with somebody. So you couldn't email anybody. You'd have to pick up the phone if you could ever find the guy's phone number. Right. Um, So, yeah, that's that's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that that happens. But I think it happens.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. And one of the things I think a lot about is, you know, in the sport of track and field, which is my realm, is uh, one of the master practitioners is Harry Mara. So the, the coach that coached Ashton Eaton and, and his wife and numerous other you know world championship finalists and all Americans. And one of the things he talked about was his process of like, <clears throat> excuse me, his process of like going through and writing down everything that he knew about all the events that he coached. And when he first started out, it was like pages upon pages upon pages for every single event. And well, you know, in the decathlon, you're talking about 10 events. So that could be like 100 plus pages of information. And now he's like, I've got two or three paragraphs. And so it's this thing where people sometimes might be disappointed. They're like, oh, I want to know all these secrets and these lists and everything. But at his, at his stage of his career, it's like, here are the simple things I'm trying to get done. Here are the methods that I can do to accomplish that. And that's it. Same thing with Tom Telez's book, um, which is you know, much more, uh, how do I say this? Simple, but not in a negative way. It's just like, here are the key things that need to be done for this particular event or events. And if you're getting these things done, you're getting most of the great stuff done. I should send you a video because I was just sent this yesterday And it was from one of uh, the coaches in my area who's actually an opponent of mine coming up. And he had a young lady with a Vertimax strapped to her. She was running on a um, uh, trampoline and had free weights in her hands, swinging the free weights while she was running on a trampoline strapped to a Vertimax. And I think to myself, like what in the world? And I've had parents, And people like that saying, when are we going to do these things? And I'm like, oh, good Lord. You know, I said to the parent recently, I said, we need just a good general lifting program for your particular kid. I said, that is what's missing, not gadgets. It's good general strength training, like power cleaning, deadlifting, squatting, benching, all those things that you mentioned um, that are woefully inadequate in, in the training of this particular kiddo. And part of the reason why is because I haven't been able to be around the kid because the coronavirus. As a public school teacher, I have rules as a coach that I can't implement some of the good basic things. And because of where we're at, I, I think about it like this too. It took a really long time for those hypercomputers to beat masters in chess, And even though they had all this computing power and they had all this information and processing power available to them, it took them a really long time to beat the human masters because the human masters didn't have to run a thousand different strategies to figure out which one they were going to do. They already knew the five or six strategies that they needed to run. So they weren't wasting the processing power, you know, dabbling in things that were really ineffective. And so I think about like what you're discussing is kind of being that process for young strength and conditioning practitioners.
1: Wow, what a, what a great point about the uh, the checker's chess thing. I mean the the chess thing with the computers. I, and I, I also say this too that you know that my explanation of things until somebody really gets me going, I think a, a lot of that a lot of that comes into play to shorten it down. Is the stuff on the outside of all that explanation is intuition which i can't right. i can't give that to you i can't tell you that you know you just have to see it i just because i've seen so many people run and jump and lift and all that the next thing happens so all of a sudden all this stuff that that you know generally i have to go to it happens like that you know it's kind of like watching it's like watching tony LaRussa. you know i was lucky to to uh be on his staff when i first came here and you know his his um lineup card is is a notepad and when he's writing stuff on there he's not he's keeping score a little bit, you know, but, but he's got notes all over that thing that, that he's, he's, you know, in the second or third inning, he's already in the seventh and eighth, you know, he's figuring it out from there. He, but, but he didn't do that in the beginning. I'm certain, you know, he's just trying to manage that pitch and then that pitch. And then all of a sudden this thing slows down and like that we always hear about, you know, everything slows down. It was like slow motion. And I saw this and I saw that. So part of those small paragraphs come out of, Well, the rest is just intuition and experience, you know, but if you think about this, the physiology, the kinetics and and kinematics, those things haven't changed ever, right? Those things were all inherent to the sport. But what has changed is what we know about it through the science and how to, and how to make it better, right? So that, that's what's really changed, the the game is still asking you to do a certain thing. No matter how tall, short, weak, strong you are, to be successful in the game takes that. So you have to get that and get away from all the stuff you're talking about. Um, You know, the one-handed this and the one-legged that and balancing this and balancing that. If you really took your time, and again, with experience, you know this, comes confidence. So when you lack confidence, you end up, you know, going to a default mechanism, like, ah, that didn't work this time. Let's go back and do all this other stuff. You know, like how could it be that just deadlifting every day gets you, you know, gets you faster and stronger when you're younger. That's just the science that that's never changed. So you can't hasten it right now. You can slow it down a little bit, but you can't hasten it. So just go with it, you know, and you have to be, you have to be pretty confident to say when everybody's doing all you know snatches and cleans and jerks with young kids that no, no, we're just deadlifting, you know? So I don't, I don't have any problem telling anybody like, we're going to clean style deadlift for almost a year. And, and with, with the younger kids, you know, progress them later, but that's a, you know, I, I, I can recognize and understand why that's a tough thing for a young coach to say.
0: Yeah, it really is. And, and that's, I think with confidence comes, you know, obviously the experience drives the confidence a little bit in what you're doing and how you're doing things. And
1: yeah.
0: I, I tend to be, you know, unfortunately a, a little complex, or at least that's been the criticism of what I do. And, and so what I've learned from that is not to deny that, but to figure out a way that like you described, making it more simple for the athletes in which I'm serving And then for the coaches that come to me, whoever they might be from time to time for mentorship, being able to explain it in a way that is consumable for most people. Like one of the greatest coaches I know, he always talks about how dumb he is or he's not that smart, which is totally not true. But what he's really good at is he takes these 30,000 foot ideas and can communicate it at ground level for everybody. And that's the genius of of who he is. Now, speaking of some of these things and Mm -hmm. specifically to let's take baseball, since that's kind of, you know, the, the, the big thing that you've spent a lot of time with, what are some of the the challenges of doing some of this programming for a sport like baseball and to its unique qualities um, in terms of its competitive cycle, the length of the season, the unilateral nature of the sport? Talk to us about the the difficulties and challenges, and, and maybe some workarounds to to deal with that sport.
1: Well, when I first got into the game, you know, I mean, I, I was I was essentially doing everything opposite what everybody was doing. Right, everybody was doing light waves, high reps, and I just came in and went the opposite direction. I mean, again, you know, I I the thing that the thing that able and enabled me to be confident in bringing this program forward. One was the leadership, Sandy Alderson, um, you know, Walt Jockety as a GM, Tony LaRusso and his staff. I mean, they, they brought me in like I'd been coaching for a hundred years and, you know, I was still pretty young in the profession and, and they just said, this is what we're doing. This is what the A's do. You know I mean? Um, and so they, they allowed me to step out and uh, at the same time, didn't allow me to fail. They put me in only positions to succeed. So, you know, it's one thing. It, it's one thing to be in a job where they allow you to work. Right. It's another thing to be in a job where they help you to be successful. One, you could be just like a go ahead and go. You're the strength coach. The other was, let's hear Let me do this. Let me do this. Let me do that. And that's what those guys did for me. So that, that was able, that enabled me to put the program into effect almost immediately. Right. And, you know, I had a bunch of pretty good players, right. Gossett, Lee, Steinbach, McGuire, Ricky Henderson. I mean, I had some pretty good names and, you know, and those guys, they kind of came in line. Now you had the pro sports is a lot different. So it's really hard unless you've been in pro sports, it's hard to explain to you how that works out. Um, but essentially, man, being simple development, it switches from development to being on the field, right? You're not, you're not trying to, you know, increase vertical jumps and running speed and all that stuff. They're big leaguers, right? They don't, they don't need to get better than the big leaguers. They're big leaguers. You got to keep them on the field. That's what you got to do. Keep your first nine out there the longest. So that, that changed a little bit, um, but, you know, again, it went back to the simplicity of the thing. As we got going a little bit, the simplicity was, it was just, it hit you right in the face. Baseball was a game of repetition. Every day you warmed up, every day you played catch, every day you field the ground balls, every day you hit, right? So volume, volume, volume. So now the program's got to be what you don't get. That's, that's what you do, right? Like, so what does this athlete need? It's right, we're not the, we, only, we just sit there and develop programs for the needs of the athlete, right? Okay, well, back at UCLA in the old days, when my first team was crew, right? So, you know, they're gonna row 2,000 meters in six minutes, eight times a year. I mean, those guys, they've just busted their ass and the, the women too, right? Um, but you thought then like, how many strokes is it? You know, oh, it's between hundred and, I, don't know, I can't remember what the number was now, it's so long ago, 200 all right, so we have to have 200 reps of bench press, 200 bench of rows, 200 reps of this, like, no, it's exactly the opposite. But that's all we knew then, right? If you're an endurance runner, you got to do a lot of reps. If you're a sprinter, you don't do very many reps. So, but within, you know, as that transition, we we knew that wasn't true. So baseball had all this volume. So my program went the other way, no volume. You know, so, I mean, it was really, really very low volume. And then the other part is, how many people hurt themselves at low intensity activity? Almost nobody. Okay, so why is that? Because the muscle needs to feel the stress. I mean, you need to you need to feel what that's like. So, all right, high intensity. And we're going to go, you know, threes, twos, and ones. Threes for two months, twos for two months, and ones at the very end of the year. Whatever you got, give me one heavy single. Let the muscle get taught what to do, right? How about sprinting? Oh, they run every day. Well, they don't sprint every day you know, like, uh, how are you going to do that? Oh, high intensity, run as hard as you can twice a week. You know, we sprint and stride and you got to put that in there somewhere, you know? So it just, it just became really simple for me to, 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 to apply and explain what I was doing. Right. You know, they said, well, we do. So for instance, you know, so you play the The anti-game, right? All right, what about, you know, what do you do? Well, we, you know, my program is, you know, high reps, low weight. Okay. Um, Are you in the hypertrophy phase? No. Why would you do high reps? Because that seems like they would get sore. No, 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 they don't get sore. We we, uh, go lighter weights. Okay, so you're not in hypertrophy. You don't have a weight light enough to cause anything effectually. So then what are you doing, you know? you're just adding volume on volume. Right. (laughs) So let's go the other way. I mean, we're not going to get hypertrophy during the season. So I'm not worried about that. So what does high intensity, lower volume do? Keeps you strong, keeps your muscles used to full effort and you don't get sore. That's perfect. And So
0: with that, it it, did this just something that it kind of hit you as an aha. Cause sometimes I know that things just kind of almost come to us as a muse, you know, an inspiration yeah. from the universe. Was it that situation or was there someone out there that you're like, Oh, and it was the ignition point for you to come across that thought process.
1: No, but I, I, I would say, you know, it, it eventually happened. Right. I mean, I went in there with a moderate range anyway, cause you know, I was already exposed to 20 something odd sports. So I knew, right. I knew what in season looked like the only thing I and the added caveat to that is we play every day. So, you know, I didn't have the, the chance to be, okay, let's do a little something on Monday. Yeah. We'll be sore Tuesday and Wednesday, but we'll be good to go on Friday. Well, these guys need to be good to go right away. So, so first of all, one of the things I learned in baseball was how to train on days that you play before days that you play. So I'd never had that skill before. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that was, you know, that just kind of came to me like, Okay, then you just start remembering. So I end up taking that, that whole learning process. It it did morph. It did more, but I, it wasn't an aha. It was just, how was that? Like, I'm a little bit sore. Like, why are you sore? Nobody, you know, and in my own lifting background, like I never got sore maxing out, but I certainly got sore doing reps, you know, like okay. And so you just, you know, you figure that out. Then you figure out the day to night. So if you were playing Friday night and you have a day game then I would say no lifting on that Friday night because now you really don't have time to recover. And for sure, if we were to do something, it's not going to be legs. Right. So just, it was just, and you know, I played the game. So, you know, I had a fairly successful division two career and had played baseball all my life. So I, you know, I kind of understood that way. And that, that's that, and that was, that was the, for many, the unknown key for my success because I was catching in the bullpen. I was throwing batting practice every day. Uh, eventually, they they the league didn't allow that anymore because there was just you know like certain amount of coaches and all that. But but that gave me instant credibility, right? That that oh this guy played. He's playing catch. He's swinging. He's hitting ground balls to us. He can work us out, and he's our strength coach. But that thing kind of kind of came along, you know, just with pitchers. You know, pitchers were the only ones that you could really you could really periodize them like like a track and field runner or a swimmer. You know, you, you have a, pitchers had a meet every fifth day. Okay, right. so I figured out, you know, where do you wanna do the conditioning? You know, where do, don't you, how do you feel? Uh, the players, I ended up saying like, you know, so you figure out just these small little nuances. And these are the things that aren't taught in the physiology books, right? So for instance, in the American League, there's a three hour game, right? Just right. a dumb deal. Started seven, at 10 at the earliest guys come in, got a little something to eat. Hey man, I'd be in the waiting room till midnight, you know, getting there 1130 at night. All right. Well, that's fantastic. If you had a couple of homers and you just, you know, you're all jacked up still and you go in and get your lift. But what about if you're over three with two punch outs, you know, like, okay, so what do you do then? Well, nobody wants to lift after a game. And I, and I, I lifted heavy enough, or I felt like if they lifted before, like many teams do, that they just weren't going to go hard enough. Right. Right. If I had an upper any kind of day, if I had an upper body day, let's say, and I know I know that Verlander was pitching, I'm probably not going to put just as much as I want in there because now I got to face him. Right. So I don't want that. You come in afterwards, you give me your full go afterwards, even though that's not going to be that that set of fives, not going to be probably a true 85 percent. It's probably lighter than that, because, you know, last time you ate was 430. (laughs) <laughs> maybe have a half snack during the game. And then you grab a, you know, a burrito and before you head to the weight room, let's go as heavy as you can then. Right. But then I thought who the hell wants a weight lift for an hour and a half afterwards. So I said, none of that. We're going to do one body part, chest, legs, arms, back, uh, legs can be, can be uh post chain or I'm sorry, posterior chain or a quad, you know, or you can do the same depending on that person's leg training. We could, it can be just legs or you split the two. So then, then you also realize with the day night game thing that it can't be Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, it has to be day one day, two <coughs> day, three day, four day, five day, six day, seven. And however they figured that out was fine because sometimes you don't have batting practice. Sometimes you get a rain out. So it's, Day one, day two. If go day one, it's a day game, a night game. Then day two may not be till Wednesday or Thursday. So you figure that out, right? And and then you you know you it it was these smaller things. Like I don't feel like lifting today. You got five minutes? Yep. Okay. Hop in the weight room. We're gonna do uh, dumbbell bench presses. Three minutes and you're out. Get warmed up. Hit me hard for three sets. Out the door. And and in baseball, you figure out with that six month season even if you missed a day, right. And then the pros, we're talking about married children, right. Chicken pox, uh, you know, battling it out with the wife, you know, or whoever, you know, the husband, whoever, you you know, whatever you got going on. So those things, you know, Hey, I got to go home. You know, it's my wife's birthday. It's my, whatever. Can't live today. Okay. You know, we're going to be here for six months. (laughs) So we're not missing anything. So you have to have, you know, these things are not about physiology and, uh, we, we had, you know, we, we, we rocked every weight room in the league. I mean, there, we, we were full capacity. That's what we did. And, and a lot of those things, you know, yeah, the science was low volume, high intensity, don't get sore, expose the muscle to high tension. And, uh, you know, and our, and our injury rates were good, but those other things on the outside is what helps programming. And some of those nuances are a little bit different with high school kids and college kids, but that's how we figured it out in baseball still, Still, the sport at every level is asking you to hit, run, throw, field. There's those are some things that are inherent. And all of those things, you know, when you talk about explosive sport, you say, you know, if you're watching a baseball game, left fielder's out there for seven, you know, for two hours doing nothing. Right. I say, okay, fair enough. But (laughs) I'm absolutely convinced as I'm sitting here right now that most of the injuries in baseball are because. Those players have not been exposed to intense enough training, either intense enough sprinting or intense enough lifting. And that's why they have the problems that they have, including throwers. You know, they don't, you know, some of the whacked out stuff they do with pitchers still just drives me crazy. If you think for a moment, a three pound cuff weight is going to keep your arm from blowing out with, you know, hundreds of, uh, like I say, the speed of, of, of the velocity of your arm, you're, you're, you're ridiculous, three-pound cuff weight, get out of here. It's never going to happen. So um, yeah, that's and kind that's of the problem. Thing. And that's kind of the problem with the sport
0: in that regard is like, that's an overuse injury. So again, wouldn't you want to go the opposite direction from overuse? And yeah. I, I'm really intrigued because as we're sitting here talking about this, one of the things I think about is like, Bob, you were kind of the guy that took baseball from being, Oh, we can't lift weights, you know, real, Oh, they're going to get muscle bound and, and tightened up. And you literally had the guys that were at the tip of the spear to prove the opposite. I mean, if you think about the power that Ricky had, and he could, obviously he was flat out fast and he played forever, you know, uh, uh, Okendo, uh, you know, early on, obviously with the 40, 40 or whatever he had, I forget what that was at the stolen bases and home runs, I mean, that guy was a monster, you know, how did, do people give you a lot of credit or, uh, to this idea of where they used to kind of shun this power lifting stuff to now where that's the kind of the norm in our sport, in the sport of baseball? I mean, talk about that evolution in the, in the people around you during that time in that process.
1: Uh, you know, no, I don't think I mean, when you say credit, I mean, I don't think anybody credits me with that. In fact, I don't I, I, I still think many still shy away from it. You know, they don't. That's too heavy. What if I hurt my guy? You know, all that stuff. They, you know, again, I had Billy Bean who, you know, I, I say this, I had the best job in baseball twice, no doubt about it. The support I got was incredible. I never had one time in both trips, anybody say, yeah, we're not going to do that with our pitchers. Uh, and don't do that with that guy. Never, not one time. Did whatever I needed to do. I shouldn't say wanted to do, but we needed to do it if we did it. Um, so, but no, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I, I again, I, I don't, I I just think there's so many factors now in baseball. I mean, now you have, you know, what we talked about the other day, got all these outside guys doing stuff. You know, I mean, we didn't have that when I was there, it wasn't popular. Then towards the end of my first stint, it became popular, but nobody was really doing that for me. And I said, if you're going to go, then just tell me who it is. I'll call them up, send them the program. They're going to do that. If You don't do that. Good luck. We're not, you know, we're not going to be involved with, I'm not going to take the heat for anything that happens to you. And uh, that was fine. But no, I don't think anybody said anything. Again, I don't think, I think we see a little more, you know, actually, I think we see more going on outside of the baseball stadiums uh, more like what I prefer and what the science supports than inside. I think, you know, I, I, I don't know that we're doing enough physically. I mean, the injuries are up again now, you know, so you, you wonder how that happens. Injuries are going to happen in baseball. It's just one of those sports, right? Especially with the number of arm injuries, you know, you're going to, you do that repetitively with that appendage and something's going to happen. It's the same thing with swimmers. You know, it's going to be hard to find a really good swimmer whose shoulders don't ache, you know, or, right. or a, a really good basketball players whose knees aren't sore. Uh, it's just the way it goes. Um, you got to work around it and try to figure it out. But I think that, um, I don't, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think people knew what I did and, um, but it was really, you talk about Ricky Anderson, like, you know, l- listen, I, you know, he was, he wasn't there when I first got there and then he came back. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I thought Ricky taught me more than anything, especially in base dealing, you know, I, so I still, I still handle that, that base dealing technique or at least his start, his, his technique was really intuitive and, and Ricky only, right. But, but his mechanics, uh, him and Kenny Lofton being able to sit up there and do the toggle switch on the video and, and check this a <clears> good thing. But, you know, when the younger guys started getting built, I mean, that's all they do. And, and, um, and they enjoyed it. I think, I mean, who doesn't enjoy coming in and getting a, I, all I need is to lift 10 minutes today, 10 minutes tomorrow. And, you know, if I need time off, I can get it. And, you know, you understand the game. Um, but I, you know, I'm really proud of, of, of the, um, of the compliance that we had at that time. And and we got really good and, you know, we kind of blossomed that way. And the, the money ball thing was a, a really a, a bunch of things happening in once that were really magic. And um, but the lifting part was really something I'm proud of because I ended up taking that same thought to Beijing in 2008, you know? So we, I figured out going ahead, like, okay, what are we going to do here? if we're going to play, we came in as, as world champions already said, so if we're going to, if we're going to play to the gold medal, we're going to be here for a month almost. And if that's the case, we've got to make sure we lift. So what do we do? You know? So I, I end up figuring out well, we're going to lift the whole time, but we're not going to lift on the off day. We're going to lift right after they play that way. The next day is off completely. And we snatched and pulled and did some, some arm stuff, you know, shoulder kind of shoulder girdle stuff. But the idea was making sure it was heavy enough, making sure the volume was low enough, just twos and ones. That was it. And um, sometimes we were in the weight room in Beijing at you know one or two in the morning, and the next day was off. That way, the weightlifting was off. But if they felt like they needed to touch the ball, then they could go do that or nothing at all. And we lifted <laughs> all the way through. So it, it ended up being you know again, it's the science behind it. There's no. I didn't come up, you know, I wasn't like throwing bones on the ground, trying to figure out what happened.
0: (laughs) Well, it's interesting because, you know, it's one of those things that used to drive me nuts, you know, and intuitively when you're going through the wrong stuff as an athlete, you're like, there's something not right about this. I don't like this. I'm avoiding this because I don't like the way it makes me feel. So like when we were in high school, you know, they would have us, you know, lift, right before we would go out and, and run track. And I'm like, well, now my, I feel exhausted. My muscles aren't firing. I'm discoordinated. And lo and behold, you know, I would get hurt. Or, hey, if we're lifting on the opposite days that we're really getting after it on the track, well, when are the kids or the athletes or myself, when am I ever recovering? You know, right. and one of the interesting things that uh, in a conversation on this podcast I had with Dan Path. He said, one of the things that's starting to emerge is that philosophy that you're describing of making the hard days hard and the easy days easy um, is even starting to show up in um, physical therapy, that they're finding that, hey, we want to start that process right away. Obviously, we want the intensity to be up right away. We're not putting people in casts. We know that. But also that they're starting to say, instead of coming in every day and doing something and irritating that body, give that body a chance of intensity relative to the injury, and then let's let it recover, and then let's give it another day, right? And that fits the model of what, you know, we try to do in sport. And obviously, as you said, a lot of the sport of baseball takes care of a lot of things, so let's take care of the things that it doesn't take care of, and make sure that those things are getting done as well because it is such a, a long season. And it, and it just seems to make common intuitive sense, but it seems to me that it takes a lot of time to break away what I would say the myth of the, the human performance aspects of the sport. Like baseball, I think more than probably any other sport has had to be drug along by its, its, its hair and its legs, almost fighting and resisting it to apply science and math and some of these ideas to its sport where other sports have maybe come to it earlier. So I, it's just interesting to hear that process
1: from you. I would agree with you. Well, I mean, if you look at, you, you think basketball was it, but basketball was way ahead of baseball. You know I mean? all But in baseball, basketball is interesting. You know, only took a couple of players. I think Jordan was really, Jordan was really helpful there. Al was really helpful there, Vermeil. But once they saw that, everybody else said, well, he's doing it, I'm doing it. Baseball, there was a couple guys that did it. But Brian Downing was the first guy that I can think of the age, was a left-handed catcher. And, and uh, you know, he came back one year about 20 pounds heavier and, and buffed. And people are like, oh, he's never going to play. And they had a great year. Then there was a few guys started doing it. But it still was, you know, you could still, you know, look, <laughs> baseball, you could still look like you're not an athlete. You could look like you're overweight. You could look like you're slow, make millions of dollars and win games. So, you know, you have quite a balance there, right? So you really have to go to the health side of things. You know, we need you in the game. You need to, you know, for you to get your numbers you need to be playing. So how do we do that? So, you know, some of that was, was mixed into it, but you're right. You know I mean? It, and there's some confidence being able to, to get away from the, the normal way, as long as you can explain it, I'm cool with it, right? You got to explain it and get results. But if you, you explain it you don't get results or you can't explain it and get results, neither of them work. You know, I mean, it, it, because at some point you're getting results with what you're doing but you can't explain it, then at some point it's just gonna, gonna fall off the table. That's just pure luck. But if you can start saying, here's how we do it and here's why we do it, then it, and then it lays it down. And you're right about baseball has these, you know, these, um, these built-in default systems, right? Like day to night, or no BP tomorrow, or it rains out. And you just say, all right, we're going to be here a long time. We don't need to worry about it. You know, but I and again, other coaches feel like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm the strength and conditioning coach. Therefore we should be doing strength and conditioning to make it look like I'm doing my job. When you and I both know, sometimes the best coaching is not coaching at all. Correct. You know, and, and that whole rest thing, like you need to rest to progress. So it doesn't matter what you do. I mean, you can't just keep lifting. I mean, we've, we found that out a number of ways, you know, otherwise, you know, we'd have, you know, 2000 pound bench presses and 5,000 pound squats. If you just keep going up, you know, that doesn't happen. So um, yeah, you're right. That's a great point. So last question for
0: you, buddy, because we're coming up on an hour and I appreciate you getting up so early on the West coast time Mm -hmm. to talk to me in central mountain time, the, the beauty of the internet, if you had advice for the people who are coming after you, what's the one thing that you could impart on them before your time is done
1: that you feel like would help them throughout the rest of their career? I just really say, let let the science happen. You know, I mean, you can't, you can't dismiss the science. You can't have your own science. We're finding Ryan and we look out there, guys are having their own science. In fact, and, and, and you know, they, they get upset when you talk about, well, you can't do that. Well, so here's, here's where I'm at, right? You know, don't tell me I can't do it. I did it. You know, if you can tell me you don't want to do that or you have something that's better, let's let's hear it. You know, I I don't, you know, I can't tell you, you know, in Moneyball, right? You asked me about that. I can't tell you how much I contributed to that. I don't know how many games we won because of the program or any of that. Here's what I know for sure. I can tell you what I did and what happened. That's all I know. And then after 40 years, I got a lot of pretty good things that I did because what happened was really good, so I, I don't have to guess at that anymore, right? So when people say, I, I mean, it just drives me crazy. Like, well, you know, you know, weightlifting. You know, we don't do any cleans and jerks or whatever. This as an example, right? You know, because the injury risk. And I say, I honestly haven't had an injury with a clean and jerk or clean in my entire career. I don't. I don't. So when is that going to happen? What? Why are you telling me that's going to happen? It's that's not the case. Like I said, in baseball, you know, weightlifting's never, never, ever heard a baseball player ruin their career. Bad coaching and implementation and design has crushed tons of careers in every sport. So it's not, you know, it's not that, right? So I'm saying let, let the science happen, rely on it, you know, but know the science. I mean, look, I, you know, I could be accused of a lot of things for sure. But, you know, people say, oh, you know, you're just, you're, you're, you're you just want to be right. And I say, that's 100% incorrect. I I don't want to be right. I definitely don't want to be wrong. So my point is, persuade me, influence me. If If what you're telling me is going to make my person better, then I'm going to change immediately. But if I'm telling you what was happening and it's true, I'm never going to step out there because if I step out there and I don't know, then I have the chance to be wrong. So I'm not going to squawk unless I know what I'm talking about. Or that here's what I did and here's what happened. Don't don't tell me I didn't do this and don't tell me that that didn't happen. You can say you don't like it in one way or another. That's you can do that. But you know, like I like I've said before. Well, like I said, like I like to quote. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of the uh, the physicist, Degrassi. The, the the good thing about science is it's true whether you believe it or not. So <laughs> it's a great one. I yeah, love that quote. You got to look that up. I mean, it's a great, it's a, it, it's true. Like, you know, you can't, you, you can't dismiss it. You know, it helps it's conclusive. It can be conclusive. And so that's, I like to put everything on that and, and until somebody can prove something different, you know, or, you know, if, if we're talking, you know, try to steer away from opinion if you can, because it doesn't, opinions don't work. You know, right. I, I, I had a conversation the other day with somebody about, you know, youth athletes. You know, and, and how we're talking about um, what do you call it? Uh, multi, multi, multi-sport development. You know, that whole yeah. chicken and egg thing, right? Oh, these these guys are in the big leagues and they played five sports. Like, now well, I, I'm I'm I, I don't believe in that. What I do believe in is that they were probably pretty good athletes. Now I'm not saying that you don't get multilateral development by doing more things, but you know, that's not why John Elway was great because he played shortstop too in college. Like, that's right. No. But at the same time, I was telling them, but you got to look at this thing holistically, right? Starting early is, is important, but at the same time, some of these dudes say, well, you shouldn't have to start early. And I say, well, there's a couple of things to think about. I'm hearing from Division One coaches that basketball is a perfect example. These guys don't start playing basketball early. They don't know the rules. It's not about the right. hell. It's about running on a court and not knowing where the hell to go and grabbing guys or pushing them or dribbling the ball with two hands. And they say, oh, that's a straw man theory. I say... No, that's not my opinion. I'm telling you what these guys are telling me. Straw man is hypothesis that you're trying to make up. This is not that. So, you know, that's the thing I say, get the science, get your results, go by that and stick with it and always look to get better. But, you know, the the physiology is in the the kinetics and kinematics are what's going to guide you. So stick with that, you know, always look to see what Ryan Bant is doing or what Bob Aleo is doing. At the same time, you got to coach your kids, right? Like, I don't. You've got to really get your kids better first and then you can move to the next thing. I, I think it's, it, it, tickles me to hear, you know, coaches, soccer coach, they'll, they'll throw out all this premier league stuff. Right. And you say, you gotta be kidding me. you think anybody on this team is going to be in the premier league? I mean, right. like, that, those numbers <laughs> don't apply to anybody. How about we just get them faster than the last test we had? That's, that's interesting, right? That's interesting. It's curious let's get them better. Right. And at some point we can talk about it Um, because it it really, what it comes down to is at the very end, you're right. It doesn't matter how fast you get. If that guy's still faster than you. Right. But we can only work on improvement and you know, you and I, we, we, the the coaches are bringing us the clay and we're building it. So when it comes down to it, I say, just bring me better clay. (laughs) That's all I can only do what I can here. So Stay with the science, you know, and and make sure you you ask questions of people that that you trust, but also ask questions of people who who differ someone in what you think, because that may that may be helpful too. Well, Bob, I
0: appreciate the time this morning. I know the listeners got a lot of value out of this. And for those of us that are tuning in, please make sure that you're sharing this, subscribing, um, giving us reviews and comments. Let us know how we can do things better and remember to be safe, smart, make good decisions. We love you guys. Peace out.